If you have your Bibles, please stand and turn to Haggai chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 15. Haggai is situated between Zephaniah and Zechariah in the Minor Prophets. Um, Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts their God on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Let's turn to our God in prayer. Our great God and king, you have promised to meet us here this evening in worship. You've promised your presence to us, that we might be encouraged and comforted in this life to know your will for our lives, to walk in holiness by hearing your command for us. So I ask, O oh God, that you would use your word as you've promised it would not come back void, that you'd comfort us, that you'd challenge us this evening, and that you'd guide us throughout the week. As in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, by way of brief recap of what kind of Chad covered last week was, in Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, God had come to the people with a message. And the message was for them to begin the work of rebuilding the temple. You see, the people were uh, in a situation where the circumstances, they thought, were not ideal to begin work on the temple. They thought that because their crops weren't yielding as they should, because their houses weren't the way that they wanted them, because maybe the financial resources weren't there, that they should pause work on the temple. They said, it is not time yet. It was about a 20-year gap between that message and when they first began work on the temple after returning back from exile. And in our verses this evening, what we see is the people's response to that first message that was given by Haggai. That when Haggai declared to them, begin work on the temple, they heard that message, were told that they obeyed, they feared, God promises his presence, and then they began the reconstruction on the temple is my hope this evening to show that what we find here in verses 12 through 15 is that it's only when the Lord's promised presence is in our midst that we are equipped 
enabled and encouraged to pursue the work that the Lord has set out for us. For the Old Testament saints, this was the work to physically rebuild and reconstruct the temple that was demolished in the Babylonian exile. But for us New Testament saints, we too have the task of building the temple. But it is not the physical temple that we are called to build. But Christ has made us his temple. And we are called to engage in the work of being built up as that temple. By pursuing holiness, by repenting from our sins, by seeking to follow after what God has called us to in his word. So it's my hope to show that this evening by looking at kind of the two perspectives our passage gives us. In verses 12 through 13, we see that the people initially responded with obedience and fear. And because of that, God promises his presence to them so that they can be comforted. And that will be our first point, the Lord's presence. And then after they receive that comfort of the Lord's presence found in verse 13... Verses 14 through 15 show us that God stirred up the people in response to that second message from Haggai in order to be able to do that work that he's called them. In other words, he equipped the people for their work. And that will be our second point this evening, the people's work in verses 14 through 15. So let's turn to 12 through 13 to see the Lord's presence And the first thing to note is that verse 12 tells us this is a public affair. It it, it makes, it it details the fact that it's Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the remnant of the people that hear Haggai's message and respond. It's not just the people, it's not just the leaders, but this is a public affair of all those who have heard the message. But it makes special, I think it's special to note They were told first that the governor of Judah, Zerubbabel, and Joshua the high priest respond to that message too. Because it points to a pattern that we see throughout all of Scripture, which is those who are leaders of God's people would often lead the people in their repentance to show them how they were to repent. We see this in places like 2 Chronicles 34 where King Josiah finds the book of the law and reads it and realizes that the people were not worshiping God, they were worshiping idols, and he reforms their worship, turns their hearts back to their God, says we need to be about the work of worshiping the Lord. We see this in places like Numbers 25, verses 7 through 13, where Phineas, the high priest, during a time where the Israelites... Uh, engaged in sexual immorality, speared two Israelites engaging in that sexual morality. And we're told that this act turned God's anger away from the people. It atoned for their sin in a sense. It purged the wickedness from Israel. And it showed Israel what they were to do in walking righteously before God. And as well in 1 Samuel 7, verses 2 through 4, the prophet Samuel tells Israel as they have turned back to the Lord to get rid of their idols, to cast them away, that they might serve the Lord. Leading them in their repentance, teaching them what they are supposed to do in this work of repentance. 
And also, the entire book of Judges shows this, right? God would raise up a judge to deliver his people from a difficult circumstance, from uh, the, the enemies of God uh, falling upon them because they were receiving the judgment for their sin. And then what he would do, in the, the judge would be let, raised up. He'd lead them into deliverance and repentance. And when that judge would die, they'd go back to their old ways and a new judge would be raised up, and so on and so forth. So it is not insignificant that our passage notes that it's the leaders, first that it's the leaders who hear and obey, and then it's the remnant of the people following after the leaders. And it would be of special interest for the governor of Judah, Zerubbabel, who is of Davidic descent, who is right, the, the rightful heir to the throne of the king of David, and Joshua the high priest, to be about the work of rebuilding the temple. You see, when Solomon dedicates the temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, the presence of the Lord fills the temple, and God responds to a prayer that Solomon had made in chapter 6. And God says to Solomon, that in the day that my people go into exile, in the day that I send them away from my presence, in the day that all the covenant cursings fall upon them, if they repent, if they return to me, I will heal the land. I will bring them back to myself. I will establish my king again in the land. So Zerubbabel, who is, who is a governor of Judah, he's not fully king. He is serving under the king of Persia, would have a special interest in this work because it would mean the restoration of his kingship the restoration of the promise that God would have a king to sit on the throne of Israel. Further, Joshua the high priest. The temple is where he would have performed his work, where he would make sin offerings and sacrifices for the people, that they might be able to uh, uh, atone for their sin and be reconciled to their God when they have gone wayward. We see this in Leviticus 16 and Hebrews 5. It tells us the job of the high priest was to be in the temple doing the work of sacrificing. And clearly Haggai the prophet has a special interest in this because he is the one delivering the message. It is his message that the people are hearing and obeying. It is his message that the people are responding to. So the leaders of this people, the prophet, the priest, and the king are leading the people in their repentance, showing them what that looks like. Fulfilling a promise that God had made all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy when God had brought his people out of, his, out of Egypt and was about to give them the land. And he told them that they would disobey and they would go into exile. But he says in Deuteronomy 4.30, when you're in the tribulation and all these things come upon you, that is the covenant cursings, which we find and read in Haggai itself, verse 10 through 11, that the heavens withheld the dew, the earth had withheld its produce, that they had drought in the land and they did not have the hills on the grain and the new wine. Those were part of God's covenant cursing that, that, that the people would experience if they disobeyed. And so Deuteronomy 4.30 says, when all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord, your God, and you'll obey his voice. In other words, he'd use these things to bring his people back to himself which is what we see in Haggai's message, because he tells them, consider your ways, consider what is going on here. 
that you think that you not building my temple will produce the covenant blessings. No, build my temple. Return to me. Show your interest in my ways. And I, I will fulfill my promise. And again, in Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 3. When all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I've set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and all your soul, then the Lord God will restore your fortunes and have mercy upon you, and will scatter you again from all the peoples where the Lord God has scattered you. This is bringing about the fulfillment of these promises that God had made that when the people would return to him, he would heal them. He would be their God and they his people. And we even see this in the language that's used. Because what, is our pa- what does our passage say throughout our, pa- throughout our passage? We're told that they obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. But in Haggai 1, 1 through 11, God had distanced himself from his people. He said, these people continually. But now... As they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, he's reclaimed them. He's, he's, he said, they are doing my work. I'm fulfilling my promise. I'm going to heal their land. But there, there's an already not yet aspect here, right? Because they've repented, they've believed, God is fulfilling his promise, but God does not immediately change the circumstances that they're in. As soon as they obey the voice of the Lord, and as soon as they hear his call to repent, God does not go, all right, all your crops are going to be fine now. All the produce that you hoped for is going to come about. Rather, he makes them wait, and they're to be patient. And instead of, instead of giving them that immediate blessing, the physical blessings, he gives them the blessing of himself, of his And he does that to comfort them, because they're afraid, because they had received the covenant cursings, and as they obeyed, they wondered, would, would God fulfill this for us? The fear mentioned here is not the fear of the Lord that we've, we've seen in places like Proverbs, but it's general, it's actual fear. They're terrified of the judgment that fell upon them. And we know this because what does God do? He comforts them with this blessing that I am with you. He says, don't fear. Don't fear because I've turned myself back to you to be with you to equip you for this work that I've called you to do. That is the message God, out of his kindness, sends to his people. And isn't it fascinating? They have just repented, and the temple is not complete at all. They've not put a finger to work yet. And God says, I'm with you. The temple, the very place that God's presence would abide in, He says, I'm with you that you might build that place. I am in your midst that you might build that home for me, that I might reside there. And you might know, have a physical uh, representation, I am here with you. And isn't that such a comforting promise to God's people as they wait the fullness of the restoration of those promises that God gave them? that he's with them in their labors, he's with them in their fears, he's with them in their concerns, that he is with them as they wonder, is God going to return to us? His promise is, I am, and I have. But God 
does not only promise to be with his people in the Old Testament, he's promised to be with his people in the New Testament, us, the church. And if you haven't guessed where I'm going with this, I I have made an effort to to point out the prophet, priest, king, because it is only through our prophet, priest, and king, Christ, that God's presence abides with us. You see, the Old Testament looked forward to that. When Christ, who, as John 1.14 tells us, that Christ, who, who is God incarnate, who dwells among us, would come and would pour out his spirit. And Christ, as the true prophet, proclaims the good news to us, that he is with us, that he is among us, that our fears can be stayed, because he says, I am here. In Luke 4, verses 18 through 19, 21, Christ reads the words of Isaiah 61, verse 1 through 3, and he says that the one who proclaimed good news to the poor, that is Isaiah, he proclaimed and led captives free. That promise was fulfilled by Christ himself, that he came to say, I've come to give good news to the poor and lead captives free because I have come to be with you as God, as God incarnate among you, and to pour out my spirit that you may know that I am with you. And it is only because Christ is our true priest who covers our sin, who reconciles us to God by the work of his blood on the cross that we can be with God, to have his presence. It is only because Christ, as Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16 tells us, that he ministered in the holy presence of God and intercedes for us and pours out his spirit upon us that we now can can have God's spirit abide with us as his holy temple. And Christ as the true king establishes that presence with us as he establishes his kingdom among the church to advance his kingdom by the proclamation of the gospel, to call those who are far off near to him, and to say, come and engage, and come and experience the presence of the living God, to reign, Christ to reign in the hearts and minds of all those who would believe and grasp him by faith. This is encouragement for us, church. This is an encouragement for us, beloved. And there are two encouragements we take from this. First, we all know, we all know what it's like to struggle with sin and to repent and to think to ourselves, have I repented it enough? Have I, have I turned from my sin enough? Have I, have I been diligent enough in my repentance? And that was the people's fear, that God would not be pleased with them, that he would still judge them. And the comfort to you is, God is with you. Because Christ has proclaimed his presence to you as prophet, because Christ has atoned that he might dwell with you as priest, and because Christ has established his rule and reign in those who have believed in him by faith, he says, your repentance is acceptable in my sight. It is pleasing to me. Your obedience is pleasing to me. Do you not think that the people of Haggai's day stumbled and faltered? That as they repented, do you not think that they, they thought, oh, man, we really don't have any crops right now. How are we going to build the temple? And even in chapter 2, we see of their stumbling and faltering because they see the foundations of the temple and they become discouraged. 
They become discouraged because it's not as good as the former temple, as the first temple. We stumble and falter through this life. We, we repent, but it's not perfect. But God is pleased with your repentance and says, Do not fear, for I am with you. And even if we don't struggle with the fear that God has not accepted us or accepted our repentance, this is still very applicable to us because we all have to fight against sin. We all need to pursue holiness. We all are called to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And God says to us, you are not alone in this endeavor. I am with you. I am with you because I've purchased you. I'm with you because my son, Christ, the God-man, who came to dwell in the flesh, did so that he might give you the newness of life, that he might enable you to walk in holiness according to his law. Because the very Spirit of God is with us, we can have confidence and assurance that as we struggle and fight against sin, we will have the victory. We do not need to grow weary because God is with us, helping us and aiding us. And this brings me to our second point this evening, this people's work to show what that repentance looks like. So we come to verse 14 through 15, and God stirred the spirits of Zerubbabel and Joshua and the people as his comforting promise of the presence of his presence is in their midst. He enables them to work. He doesn't just leave them and say, my presence is with you, now go work. No, he actually stirs, the Spirit stirs them up for this, encourages them, enlivens them for this work. Though they were afraid, now they've been uh, energized by the Spirit that they may fulfill God's command. And we're told they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God after they receive the promised presence, after God stirs them up to that work which he has called them to do, they then go and work and do it. And we're told the date. We're told it's on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of King Darius. It's approximately 23 days after Haggai's first oracle. And it's possible that that in this period of time, maybe they were considering their ways. Maybe they were thinking, well, what, what is this message, this first oracle that we are to respond to? It's possible that they were actually making preparations to build the temple. Okay, what do we have to do to get this done? But we're told that it was a relatively short period of time from when Haggai's first message came to when they obeyed. They made quick work of it in repenting. And I, I want us to note something very important. And it's that the order, the flow of this passage, and how this works, because this is relevant to our lives today. First, they hear God's word. Then they repent from their sin. So God initiates. He gives them a call. He tells them, he tells them go and work. And they hear it and they consider it and they repent and obey. And then we're told that God stirs them up. He establishes himself. He, he, he gives them the promise of presence and stirs them up to be able to engage that work. And then they actually do that work. All of this is from the initiative of God. The people are participants. Yes, they have a job to do. 
But we need to know that this can only come from the power of God, from the abiding presence of His Spirit, from the enlivening presence of His Spirit. They cannot do anything on their own, in other words. They can't do this task themselves and by themselves. And so he equips them for their work. He does not call them to work without aiding them. And this is fulfilling other promises that he made to Israel. Deuteronomy 36, Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34, and Ezekiel 36, 26. That when the people returned, he would give them a new heart and a new spirit. He would enliven them that they may want to do this work, that they may want to obey the Lord, that he would heal them of their iniquity and sin. And again, just like everything in the Old Testament, this ultimately points us forward to Christ. This ultimately points us to the fullness of the realities that we see in Christ as he pours out his spirit and as he functions as our true prophet, priest, and king. Because not only does a prophet, he call us, he calls us, to, uh, he, he announces his presence, but he also calls us to obedience. He says, uh, the, the Christ, uh, we read in Hebrews 2, 10 through 4, that we're called, therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. Well, God also bore witness by these signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. See, Christ proclaims, I'm with you, and then he says, go and work. As prophet, he proclaims this to us. As priest, he didn't cleanse us that we may stay in our sin, but he has cleansed us that we may actually be holy and built up, that his spirit might work within us to produce good works. And we see that in places like Romans 5, 6 through 11, that Jesus, who are, who's our priest, who has been consecrated by God, is the means of reconciliation for us to dwell with God. And that as those who have received the spirit of God and have the spirit of God abiding within us, it means something. It means that we are no longer to do the deeds of the flesh, but we're to put them away because we have God's presence with us. Paul notes this in 1 Corinthians 3.16, where the issue of sexual immorality came up amongst the Corinthians. And he said, do you not know that you are the temple of the living God? Are you going to buy, uh, 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 are you going to, are you going to bound a, the temple of the living God, to a harlot. You see, as those who've been cleansed by Christ's priestly work, we need to put off sin because God's spirit abides with us. And that means holiness. And lastly, as king, Isaiah 11, Christ's kingly role is depicted as being established to bring his people back from exile bringing Israel's enemies under his feet. And it's interesting because our shorter catechism in describing Christ's kingly role uses the passage of 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28, which discusses his resurrection. That part of the enemies that God subdues are sin, is sin. That's one of the enemies. And as Christ establishes his rule in our hearts, as he says, I am with you as king, 
What he also says is, now go and hear my edict, my decree, which is that you should be holy as I am holy. That I've done the work to proclaim to you that I'm with you. That I've done the work to proclaim to you that you are to live according to my law. That I've done the work to cleanse you and to enable you to live holy lives. And now I've called you to submit to me as King and Lord. That you are no longer your own to determine how you should live. But I say that you should live holy lives, putting to death sin, anger, wrath, malice, slander, adultery, whatever passage of Paul you want to go to where he lists all the the vices of the flesh. He says, no, as king, I commission you to work, to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And as we note in this passage, and as I said, it's a public endeavor. We also need to note uh, that as it is a public endeavor, It's the people who are doing this together. You see, the Christian life is not a life of individuals. It's not a life of of those uh, called by God to then disperse themselves. But it is a life of unity with God's people. This very place, this worship service, is where God has promised to meet us with his presence. So as we stand here, as we sit here today, as I stand up here today, God is with us in our midst as the church as a body. And so we are to be about the work of encouraging one another to pursue this holy life, to not do this on our own. As Reverend Edie charged the congregation on Friday, we are to do the work of ministry. And part of that work is encouraging one another in our task to pursue holiness, to be the holy temple of the living God. Whether that is by pointing to the the work of the Spirit in someone's life and saying, I see, I see how the Spirit's worked in you. I see how you've grown in faith. Whether it's by an encouraging word to say, brother, sister, don't grow weary in doing good, but continue and persevere. I had this thought that what if as, as the people began the work on the temple and there are two Israelites, and one of them sees another one struggling. And he, it's been a long work day, and, and the, the, the sun is beat down upon him. He feels the weight of those stones that he has to place upon the foundation, and he's wavering. A fellow Israelite comes and runs alongside of him and says, Keep working, for God is with us. Keep working, for God has promised us success. And then that fellow Israelite aids him to place that stone upon the temple. Well, that is something that we're called to do. We're called to encourage one another that we might not grow weary, but that God might use each one of us in building up this temple, that we might be built up as a holy temple unto the Lord. So let us not grow weary in doing good. Let us not forget the promise that God is with us as we, as we are engaged in this task and this work to be built up as the holy temple of God because our true prophet, priest, and king has declared to be with us, to enable us, and to establish his reign among us. Let us go to our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Thank you that you have promised to be with us. It's hard work to grow.
grow in sanctification. And we need one another and we need your spirit. I ask that you'd help us to encourage one another and I ask that we would be encouraged by the promise of your presence that you have enabled us to grow in holiness. I pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.